Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 13 years, I've been a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Sunday, September 29th, 2019, as I record this introduction. This week, I have a brief episode a personal story about my grandmother, about creativity, perspective, the context of value, and our ability to assign worth, the choice inherent in value and worth. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you may have. Hold it in your mind. I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. I'd like to introduce you to another of our nine featured practitioners. Now, when you go to sladeroberson.com slash readings, in addition to booking a reading with me, you can also connect with other intuitives, psychics, mediums, energy healers, and astrologers from the automatic intuition community. Adam Albert is a professional intuitive reader and tarot instructor who writes and speaks about the practical side of spirituality and helps connect clients to their personal sense of power. You may know Adam from our Shift Your Spirits community on Facebook. He is responsible for ridiculous photoshopped images of yours truly as a Korean dictator. His sense of humor delights the masses on a daily basis, and he's also written and recorded a lot of original instruction about the tarot for the SYS community. He was recently elevated to the role of moderator, yay, bringing some more testosterone to the High Priestess Council. I can highly recommend that if you're looking for a personal reading when you hear this, it could be a sign to connect with Adam. You can do that at adamwestonalbert.com, and you can find a link to Adam's site as well as the other feature practitioners at sladeroberson.com readings. By the way, for the record, I've had a few emails about this. Automatic intuition and the mentoring program that I do is not going away. I am phasing out personal readings over the remainder of this year, me giving readings. I am not phasing out or ending my professional intuitive training, my business consulting, or my mentoring sessions, just to be clear. In personal news, I'm really freaking happy right now. I know I sound really tired. It's because of all the things that go into being so happy. Um... There's a lot going on right now, but this is a great moment in my life, and I am truly living every moment and just soaking it up. I want to thank every one of you who sent a sweet message or email about the end of the Love Curse series. I was unsure how using my own life in a series of almost kind of diary entries would be received or perceived. You guys have been very invested in a really loving way, and I've honestly never felt so supported. So I just want to say thank you for all that. If I do sound a little tired, it's been a long work week. That secret side project I've been working on launches this week, and I just have to tell you, I had a moment this week. I had several moments, actually, and I've done this before in introductions. I sometimes just need to stop and acknowledge the 
beautiful moments, the the high points on the mountains before I descend back again into another valley. Um, it's so easy for us to just constantly add something new to the to-do list and not take a moment to really celebrate checking off those boxes. Um, I've been required this week to do almost 10 times the amount of recording and audio editing that I normally do in a week for this show. And that's just this week. That won't be an ongoing thing. There's a little bit more that I'll be doing, but this week was the big crunch. We have these projects that come to us. We brainstorm, we work on them, they evolve and change and we adapt, but we usually, hopefully, eventually finish them after much kicking and screaming. And often a long time has passed when we reach that point. I had an opportunity to do um, some new audio work that has been a dream of mine for a few years now and a serious attempt to make it happen for about six months. And it's here. It's about to be out in the world. And we don't get these moments very often. So I just want to say I'm proud of myself. I'm happy. My life and my work are intersecting in a powerful way and I can't pass up this chance to let you know how grateful I am. I may never feel this level of happiness again, or to keep the positivity going, I may get more and more of it because it does seem to multiply. Before I forget, I haven't had a lot of new Patreon supporters in a while. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I've had a few who've left in the past few weeks, and I hope it's not because the recent content has been irrelevant to you or disappointing in some way. It's hard not to think that when I'm sharing stuff that's so personal. Maybe people do not want to hear about my love life. Um, Although I do generally get a lot of positive feedback about my personal episodes, so I'm going to use that as my compass for making decisions for the podcast. But I want to make sure you hear me say this because you may have developed some ad blindness to these next few sentences because I say them so often. Listen with fresh ears. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support for this show. It demonstrates that you're enjoying it. You want it to continue. That's very encouraging to me. So thank you. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access some extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. I have this dark blue Gap sweatshirt, a hoodie, zipper front, that is in so many photographs that if you look through my Facebook archives, you would think that I have just bought a ton of dark blue hoodies in my lifetime or else all those photographs were taken close together and they're not. Um, It's one of my favorite articles of clothing ever. And I found it on a mannequin um, as I often did because I worked for Gap and Old Navy and Banana Republic. I know that um, markdowns get missed a lot on basic mannequin items. So the body forms are wearing certain pieces of clothing that might roll over and get added to, or for some reason they stay on and they're not supposed to, it's a little bit lazy, but it happens all the time. Uh, if you're looking for something that might have been missed when they mark down things in clearance, 
they are often hiding on those body forms and they're usually medium sizes or in some cases with men's they might be a large item so definitely something that I could wear so this blue sweatshirt that I found on this mannequin I ended up getting for you know a ridiculous amount of money like 6.99 or something like that and I was like awesome yeah buy it little did I know that it was unique in such a way that I've never been able to replace it. Like you would think, oh, a blue Gap sweatshirt, just go next year when the new sweatshirts come out and you can get another one. And it doesn't work that way because they are always slightly different from one iteration to the next. Over the years, I have bought Gap sweatshirt after Gap sweatshirt, hoodie after hoodie in multiple brands looking for the qualities that this one blue hoodie has in it. Now, just to give you an idea of what it is, in case you have one and you would like to send them to me, um, it is a very thin terry cloth, first of all. So it's not thick at all. It's not very warm. It's a spring or summer weight hoodie. It is very flat. So I don't know, those of you who are men are probably more aware of this, but um, men's sweatshirts, especially a hoodie like a Hanes hoodie or something very basic that you might get at Walmart, the pockets and the way that they're positioned down near the elastic waistband cause you to look pregnant. And I don't know, actually, maybe women are more aware of this because it's so unflattering. It makes anyone look like they have a gut, no matter who they are. And I think part of the issue is that the pockets sit right on the belly instead of the side. And then there's this big, fat, elastic band that is just, you know, mushroom top, muffin top waiting to happen. And it's a really thick banded elastic, you know, for this knit. And so this particular sweatshirt that I love does not have that banded bottom. It just kind of hangs flat. So it sits flat on the stomach. And the other cool thing is it's not long. It's kind of brief. Like it comes, it just barely covers your belt. So it's not ridiculous. Like I hate it when a sweater or something covers my butt. It just looks awkward from behind. It looks like there's like two legs sticking out of, you know, something. And it is a beautiful color. It's a perfect weight. It's flat. It, you know, it, it has a really easy zipper on it. Um, you know, I could go into more detail about it. It just fits me perfectly. And no other Gap sweatshirt or any other sweatshirt for that matter has ever been able to replace it. And I've spent a lot of money even buying really expensive ones, really nice ones. And some of them are just too complicated. They have too many panels inside them or their fabric is wonderful, but it's too heavy and you, you know, suffocate wearing it. So the little metal part on the zipper that you hold onto when you use the zipper literally wore off and broke off years ago. And so when I wear this sweatshirt, the zipper still works. I just have to grab the whole zipper between my thumb and forefinger and, and pull it up myself. It doesn't have the little handle on it. So, um, I can't let it go. And sometimes I have to force myself to not be wearing it when there are cameras present because I'm always wearing it. 
I wear it all the time. It's like Linus's blanket. And this is how I typically shop for things. This always happens to me. There's something that I want that's so specific that it doesn't even exist, but it could or it should exist, or it's just something that was, you know, a random wonderful accident like this particular sweatshirt obviously was and it does exist but there are no more of them and you can't replace it um more often times than not i want something that i can see in my mind's eye but i can't quite find it manifested in reality this happens to me a lot with shoes i say often in my private personal life that i need another lifetime in order to come back and just be a shoe and bag designer. I love those two things more than any other part of fashion. Um, Shoes and bags. Now, while I do like antiques and old things, I love things that are haunted and have history and have a sense of being worn by someone else. When I was in junior high and high school, um, this was during the 80s, very pretty and pink era, uh, vintage clothing, shopping at thrift stores was a thing, Morrissey from the Smiths made, you know, ugly old man cardigan sweaters, like a thing, you know, that you could go and buy for a couple of bucks, and I've always loved looking for treasures like that, and I like to have things in my home that are... Um, steeped in history. My dad likes old stuff too. He likes rustic things. And um, my mom, on the other hand, has always hated things that aren't, as she calls it, store-bought or that aren't new. And to her, things that are old simply remind her of being poor. She doesn't see something that is a beautiful old antique that's like 200 years old and has all this character and all these dings that represent the hundreds of times it's been touched or handled throughout time, Um, the sense of place where it came from, who it might have belonged to before. None of those things matter to her because to her, when something is old like that, If you live in a house where you have old things, it's because you can't afford to buy new ones. Someone gave you their old table. You know, uh, maybe when you got married, your family gave you pieces of furniture, or when you move out, you know, and of course, we all experience this. Maybe in our first apartments, we have the crappy, you know, hand me down furniture from previous generations that's not old enough to be cool and antique, but just kind of old enough to be like out of fashion or something. But my mom grew up very, very poor. And so a lot of what they had had probably been around for generations and was passed down more than once. And so when she sees an item like that, she doesn't see a treasure. It reminds her of something that felt shabby and was a reminder of poverty and an inability to buy something that was shiny and new. Um, Now, my grandmother, her mother, made all the clothing that she wore pretty much her entire life. Like, to get something 
store-bought and new and clothing was like the greatest heaven on earth that they could conceive of. My mom tells this story about how she won something when she was a girl, like a raffle or a contest or something like that. And it was for a women's clothing store, but it all the clothes in that store were too big for her. Um, and so she used the prize to get a store-bought dress for her mother. Her mother could sew anything and did for a living. She considered herself a seamstress. Um, if her kids wanted something in particular to wear, it wasn't even that her clothes were particularly homemade looking. Um, you know, like when somebody's mom tries to make them something crafty and it looks terrible and everyone laughs at them at school. Um, it's a little bit more of a Dolly Parton coat of many colors kind of scenario. Um, my grandmother, if you wanted something new, like say some kind of skirt that was in fashion or some kind of blouse that all the girls at school had or whatever, she would go shopping and you would show her what it was that you wanted. And she would go into the department store and she would turn the clothes inside out and study them. And then they would leave without buying anything and they would go to the rag store and buy cheap fabric and she would go home and she would pattern the item of clothing from memory and make a replica of whatever cool fashionable item was in the store window. She would make it out of rags. She could duplicate it. Now I know from other people who sew and from watching sewing competition shows that being able to pattern at all is a challenging skill to be able to, you know, do it just like hold it in your mind like that is, is really impressive. But when my mother tells the story or when she would tell me the story growing up, it was never like, Oh wow, how cool your mom can make anything that you wanted. It was always, Oh, everything we wore was made from rags. And now my papa, her father, um, the husband of my grandmother, whose name was Queen Victoria, by the way. Um, He was a barber. He was a poor barber in a mining village in upper middle Tennessee, almost in Kentucky. Uh, Very poor community, but one of those jobs that was kind of a, a... center of social life as you know a lot of men hung out in the barbershop and my mom has great stories about the barbershop slash juke joint scenarios that went down with these men maybe I'll tell you those stories another time but uh, my papa who was just a barber in a mining community liked to wear only tailored dress clothes and this was in the 1920s and he had a very zoot suit kind of gangster style going on and he only wore things that had been tailor-made for him and he would get his wife to make him these you know gorgeous fancy looking clothes and it was only you know fairly recently really that I 
discovered how difficult it is to make men's dress shirts in particular. Like that is kind of my understanding is that it's the most difficult item of clothing that you can make for someone by hand is a men's dress shirt and make it look, you know, amazing. Um, so that's what he wore all the time. When we talk about in our family about how our vanity um, comes from him and his side of the family, uh, they were known to like to smell good. And that's something that I associated with him, even though I only knew him when he was in his 80s and he was in a wheelchair uh, and lived in a nursing home. He had an amazing array of colognes and he always liked really nice pajamas. That was something we would buy for him a lot. And to this day, I tend to pick sheets and pillowcases and boxers and things that have what my mother calls old man pajama patterns. (laughs) Like I love those kind of patterns and it makes me think of him. But back in the day, when you know she was making these uh, tailored shirts for him, she was also making a lot of formal wear for money. You know, people would hire her to make wedding gowns or prom dresses. My mother has a collection of dresses that were homecoming dresses, um, prom dresses, the dress she wore at her wedding, those kind of things in a hope chest. Some of uh, the clothing that she made, my father brought silk from Thailand and um, my grandmother got to make these beautiful dresses for my mom and for some other people out of these amazing silks, which probably changed her whole design, just being able to work with incredible fabrics and not rags from the thrift store. It wasn't until decades later when I became a fan of Project Runway and I really started to focus on the way clothes are made and, you know, the the talent and the skill and the creative process that goes into that, the whole concept of haute couture or high sewing, something that is made by hand, a bodice that is hand-stitched, the amount of hours of beadwork and hand sewing and lace and all that kind of stuff that will go into a formal garment, sometimes sewn by multiple women, by teams of women, for tens and tens of hours, you know, to produce one of these items of clothing. And so you think about, you know, this poor woman who's living in a mining town who is making this kind of stuff by hand. And yet nobody ever called her Hope Couture and she was never referred to as a designer. She was a seamstress. She was like a glorified equivalent of an alterations person is the way I always kind of read it. Now, my grandmother died before I was two. My mother is the youngest of 11 kids, and so I was her baby's baby. And I think that she left this earth kind of focused on me as the baby in her world. And I've always sort of felt her presence a little bit because of that. Especially... Um, kind of as a creative person, because neither of my parents have that kind of artistic temperament. Um, and it's almost like I got it secondhand. And it's weird because even though my mother has always been very encouraging and supportive of my creativity, 
she didn't necessarily know how to support me from personal experience other than to tell me stories about my grandmother. And so a lot of my philosophical, creative parenting concepts have sort of come secondhand from my grandmother to me. And some of my, I think, maybe spiritual attitudes have come as well, you know, trickled down to me through um, ancestors in, in that same kind of fashion, but in a really direct way from my grandmother through my mother to me, such that even like a weekend, like I've had this weekend, I had an amazing amount of extra work to do on another project. And I was just really burning the candle at both ends. And the stories about my grandmother and the advice that my mother has passed on to me about coping with that kind of burnout um, were really present in my mind. And maybe that's why I'm here telling you this story. But when I was a teenager and I would hear these stories about how she made these clothes, oh, she could go to the store and turn something inside out and go home and make it for you. And as a teenager, I had a lot of um, expression through my clothing. I wore a lot of weird stuff. I, I you know, <clears throat> grew up in this age of preppy clothing. I didn't remotely want to dress that way. Um, weirdly enough, uh, my parents had gone bankrupt when I was in junior high school. And so during that 80s preppy era when that expensive kind of labeled clothing was a really big deal, I sort of shifted gears into not wanting to be that anyway. You know, it was cool to shop at thrift stores. It was punk rock. It was uh, creative. We would, you know, buy things and alter them. Um, in some way to create unique pieces of clothing. And I can always just remember having designs for things in my mind. And I would always think, wow, I bet my grandmother could have made that for me. If I could have drawn it, she could have turned it into a pattern. Or if I could show her an article of clothing and explain the alterations that I want, she could have made it for me. She could have taken my blue hoodie and made it in a bunch of other colors you know, if I supplied the fabric or whatever. And I would always ask my mother, could she have made this for me? Could she have made this for me? And she would always say she probably would have made anything for you. Meaning, even if it was difficult and it was labor, she probably would not have denied me because of her emotional connection to me had she been around, you know, as I grew up. But throughout my life, I've had these moments where... I'm very frustrated with creative projects. I am exhausted with working on something that's not working. I'm, you know, wrangling code on a website that isn't, you know, doing what I want it to do. Or I'm writing something that I'm painting myself into a corner and I don't know how to get out of it. You know, like all those just kind of things that I go through on uh, a daily basis, just doing the kind of work that I do. There've been so many times over the years where I have been, you know, spinning out. And of course my mom is the one person on earth who gets the most spun up neurotic version of me. So if I'm having a meltdown, <laughs> um, she's the first person that's probably going to hear about it. Thank God she has like this Taurus moon. She's very emotionally um, even kill, 
you know, all the time. But um, I just always think about all the things that she was telling would tell me when she would see me get into this state of mind. She would tell me stories about how my grandmother used to get like that over whatever it was that she was working on. She was trying to meet a deadline or she was working, working, working on something or she had to totally rip out a seam and start over, you know, and she'd be in tears, just so frustrated. And um, there's so many times that I've heard about how my grandmother, when she would reach that point, would step away. Like she would always reach a point where she would put it down. Like that was her way of coping um, it was the last, you know, stand the way that you dealt with something is to put it away because if it's late at night and you're working on it and you're making mistakes, you're so much more likely to be able to come back and solve it quickly in the morning than you are to stay up and, and to keep pushing when you're, you know, back is to the wall. And there've been a lot of times where I have, even though there are, you know, five hours of daylight left in the day when I'm really burnt out, I know that I can, it'll take me three hours to do this in the evening. It's going to be miserable. I can come back in the morning, freshly caffeinated because I'm a morning person and do that same thing in 30 minutes, you know? Um, So there are all these times where I find myself invoking my grandmother not to really help me with, the creative work itself, but like living some ancestral memory, some DNA that's trickled down to me about how to um, cope with burnout. Uh, It's a very specific type of, you know, occupational hazard or whatever. And, And my way of doing that is always related back to her and the stories that were passed on to me about her creating these items of clothing. Dating Stephen, a lot of my personal lore is getting dredged up. A lot of these stories from my family that are myth and legend are getting shared because we're in this state and in this place early in our relationship where we want to download everything about ourselves to the other person and um, sort of embroider who we are and where we come from beyond our, you know, like initial attraction in the moment. We spend a lot of hours on the phone at night talking, and these are the kinds of things that we end up talking about. He tells me stories about his family. I tell him stories about mine, about things that happened to me as a kid. And I was talking about the blue hoodie. And I don't remember how he said it, but something to the effect of he felt like some of the stories that I tell him would be good stories for Shifter Spirits, this podcast. And I realized there are a lot of things that are my personal stories that are becoming more and more, I don't want to say attractive to me, but I'm more and more aware of these stories that I've told many, many times that don't seem to necessarily be related to spirituality or personal development in any obvious way, but they often have the same form 
that I use when I tell any kind of story. And there usually is some kind of message in them that I can share with you. And sometimes I just have to rely on you relating to it in whatever detail resonates with you. Maybe you're listening to this right now and you're thinking of your own stories about people in your family and how you have adapted what they do into what you do now or how you communicate with them as spirits. You know, a lot of people talk about their grandparents being with them in visitation and stuff like that. But the thing that Stephen and I felt like was a takeaway from this story was the context of value. This idea that perspective is so powerful that you could take an object and through perspective and through context say this is a treasure. It's a unique thing that is more valuable for all the abuse that it's taken through the years. The fact that it's old makes it better, makes it more powerful. And then someone else can come along and look at that same object and see poverty and lack of abundance and painful memories and something that they want to escape from. When it's our own value that we're talking about, we're often least likely to see that as valuable, as positive, or to choose that more illuminated context. It's easier to see it about cool old antiques or other people. We are terrible judges of our own worth. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of our featured practitioners, please go to sladeroberson.com slash readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. Broken hearts do get mended over time. You've given yourself plenty of time to mourn your losses. If the idea of letting go and moving on speaks to you right now, do it. It sometimes requires a decision to put down our burdens. Make room for something new, something joyful, and be proud of yourself for getting to the place where you can move on. And I'll talk to you later.